Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why does making friends as an adult feel so what hard? What should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a foreign But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know, too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Every Girl Podcast. Emma, let's dive right into the Ask the Every Girl segment. What is the question this week? This week's question is sort of like a situational question. The question is, my newish boyfriend, we've been dating officially for five months, currently has three girl roommates. It's just him and these girls in the house. He says that it is all completely platonic, but I'm wondering if I should be concerned. Do I put my foot down and ask him to move once his lease is up in a couple months? So his lease ends in a couple months. They're newly dating. Okay, really interesting question. My first thought is that's kind of the dream, no? Like, I have dated, right? I have dated men in houses with three to four guys, and that sounds that like alternative. Not no. the dream. <laughs> no, it is not pleasant. You do not want to stay there longer than you have to. There's always some kind of gross shit in the bathroom. Always, the kitchen is nasty. You don't even want to drink water out of it. Like, sweetie. Yeah. You kind of hit the jackpot. Honestly, there will always be tampons stashed. You can steal someone's <laughs> cover up from their bathroom if you get a breakout and are sleeping over. Maybe they're watching The Bachelor when you're over rather than watching football. Or also you can like football and I support that also. But like, I don't know. To me, three girl roommates, that sounds like the dream. Yeah. Um, like, so that's I'm first thought, right? why this person hasn't become friends with the girl roommates. That's another good question. Obviously, the person writing this, it sounds like your concern, I'm guessing, stems from worry that something would become inappropriate or even worse if they're cheating. So that's a good first question is, is there something with the girls or is it just not about the girls? Like the girls are great. You click vibe, whatever, steal their tampons. But it's more (laughs) about like just the concern about your boyfriend living with other girls. Yeah. To which... I'm a big believer in the let them practice, meaning if they are going to cheat, let them. Because then you get to know who they truly are. And guess what? You will be okay. Hopefully your life is pretty good with or without this guy. Obviously, I'm sure you really like him, but your life will be pretty damn great with or without him, I promise. It is not Mm -hmm. on you to control the environment in order to control the outcome of your relationship. Like, that's just not your job. I'm thinking about, like, my experiences with my previous boyfriend. We went to different colleges. Oh, my God. This is, like, way back in college days. I'm, like, really (laughs) going back here. My high school boyfriend, we went to different colleges. I remember feeling so much anxiety when I knew he was at parties because I felt like 
what is he doing? Could he meet someone else? Like you feel that anxiety. So I don't want to say that I'm this easy breezy girl who's like, yeah, let them be whatever. I don't care. I totally have felt that where I feel this sinking feeling of what if something happens? What's he going to do? You almost want to control that because you don't want to be hurt and you're trying to protect yourself. And I completely get that. At the same time, I feel like that feeling for me was deep down this knowing that this is not the right person. Because when it's not the right person, someone else can sway him or attract him to which I say, do it. Like if he can want someone else, I don't want him. And even at 21, when I got with my current boyfriend, I thought of myself as being a kind of jealous person because of my previous relationship and how I felt in that. But with my boyfriend now, I never have had that anxious feeling when he went out, when he went on boys trips. He actually did. Oh, my God. Now that I think about it, he did have a female roommate. I like totally forgot he had a female roommate. (laughs) Did not think twice about it. Like I really didn't. I actually loved it because it was such a nice space. She was so much fun. We'd go out together. Like I I honestly, again, the dream. Yeah, I do well. But I didn't think twice about that it was a weird thing for him because like he could be in a a room full of the hottest supermodels in the entire world. And I would know without a doubt that he would not want or pursue them. I'm not saying to the person who asked this question that because you feel worried that this isn't the right person. It might be more about you. It might be about your past experiences. It might not actually be about him. What I am saying is if you trust him, then trust him. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you have this feeling like this knowing that he may be someone who cheats, that's a completely different conversation. But if not, then trust him and allow him to act however he would without feeling the need to control the situation. And if he's going to cheat, if anyone you're with is going to cheat, again, let them because you can move on and live a great life. Emma, did you watch Selling the OC? No, I did not watch Selling the OC. (laughs) What's the deal with Selling the OC? And of course, you don't watch all the trashy reality TV shows that I do. Um, but it just, it was like making me think it, cause I, I'm like trying to think of like all the sides to this. Like there are so many different layers to this question. Yeah. There's a but lot going selling, on here. So in selling the OC, just to give you a brief history, one guy who was married to Brittany Snow, the actress, the world renowned. Yeah stunning love her she was in hairspray a national treasure if you will right Mm -hmm. this man is lucky enough to be married to the one and only britney snow the whole first season there was like all this drama about one girl hitting on him but then this other girl was kissing him like being very inappropriate whoa britney snow and this guy announced her divorce a month after the show goes live there's no direct correlation that we know of but we can speculate. Like if I saw my husband doing what he did with this girl, I would be pretty peeved. Cut to season two. The entire storyline is about Brittany Snow's ex-husband being flirty with, maybe having a thing with that same girl. At the very end of the season, they're making out and like each other and trying to make it work. So the reason I'm thinking about this is because that honestly is every girl's worst nightmare is after you break up, the guy ends up with the girl that we told you not to worry about. You know what I mean? Like that is, yeah. I'm also trying to think of the perspective of, okay, what if it's a great guy and he's telling you not to worry about the girl roommate and then you break up and then months later, 
he's with her. Then it kind of invalidates your relationship. But maybe that's jumping the gun. I don't know why I thought of that. So what are what are your thoughts? How would you feel in this situation if this was you? I have some honestly like pretty strong opinions. I want to reiterate what you said about that's the dream. And I just think we need to get out of this binary mindset of like, every guy is going to be attracted to every girl and every girl might be attracted to every guy that that risk is there. It sort of eliminates the possibility of you could be dating a guy and he could have all guy roommates and there could still be the potential for a romantic relationship or flirtation between his roommates. So So I think first getting out of that mindset and seeing relationships for what they are, like they're roommates. It doesn't matter what gender they are. Just because they're the opposite gender doesn't mean that there's inherently some sexual tension. And just because they were all the same gender wouldn't mean that there was inherently some sexual tension. The relationship that he has, supposedly, unless you've observed otherwise, with these girls is roommate and maybe friend. So I think respecting that that can exist is super important. So that's the first thing I would say about this. I think if you see him interacting with your roommates and you feel like he's crossing a line or they're crossing a line, that's when it's okay to communicate that boundary. But I would say that asking him to change his whole living situation seems a a little extreme. I think also we all deserve to assume the best in people. That's just something we deserve to feel, especially about a romantic partner is like you deserve to assume the best. And as someone who has had worse fears fulfilled in a relationship, you deserve to let those fears go in the first place. If Mm. that makes sense. Yeah. I wish I had given myself enough love to assume the best in my partner, even though it did Mm. end up going poorly. That's interesting. Because some relationships don't work out. And yes, there are many times where we get hurt, things happen, but then we get to move on. We still get to have a happy life. So it's like if you're ruining the time that you're spending in a relationship because you're so hyper fixated on the worst case scenario, I get what you're saying. Even if that worst case scenario happens, you spent that whole relationship worrying about it. So it's good for us because then we're able to fully be present and enjoy it. And then... There is no reason to worry anyway, because if the worst case scenario happens, if you break up again, you will move on. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not as easy as I'm making it sound, but that there will still be life. There is still happiness to find because all that matters is that we have ourselves, which sounds so cheesy, like you'll always have you, honey. But, But I get what you're saying. What I would say to this person is definitely check in with yourself about why you're having these thoughts and concerns mm-hmm. and is it coming from your partner or is it coming from something within yourselves that you maybe don't believe that things can go well because they have never in the past and getting rid of those limiting beliefs which we talk about all the time here and just kind of like doing some reflection if again you haven't observed anything that is boundary crossing What for you would be examples of boundary crossing that wouldn't be enough to break up, but it would be enough to vocalize to either this guy or to the roommate? Oh, that's a great question. For me personally, the the physical is where it gets kind of 
that's where I feel like boundaries are a little bit for me. I don't know. That's a good question. There's got to be some gray area where it's not bad enough to break up with them, but there would be something that you'd want to establish and vocalize. But I'm like, what is it? Because if like if my boyfriend was snuggling, like straight snuggling with another girl, I'd be like, that's fucked up. Like if you don't have that boundary yourself, I don't trust you anymore. And I'm questioning what else you think is quote appropriate or what else you could get away with. But I think to your point, too, it's also important to check in on where is that discomfort coming from? Is it coming from you and what you need? Or is it coming from an insecurity that you're trying to put a cage over this and you're trying to control it because of an anxiety or fear? I I also am wondering how much of this is like, I do think that especially with women, there's this feeling that has been instilled in our culture where we have to be competitive with one another, like this lack mentality with women because of what culture gave us, which is like there's limited opportunities, there's limited men for generations that has been instilled in women. You have to compete to keep a man, a person, whatever. Let's dive into the episode today because Candace actually does talk about dealing with jealousy in our conversation now that I think about it, and she has such an interesting perspective on it. Candace Horvath, most commonly known as Eva Lovia, was one of the most successful adult entertainment stars of all time. She's now a wife, mother, successful wellness entrepreneur, and the host of the podcast, Chatting with Candace. It is not every day that I get to chat with a porn star, so I had a lot of questions for her, as you can imagine. We talk about her experience being in porn, the stigma she faced and continues to face, why she calls her sexuality her superpower. That was so cool. And how being in porn actually helps her achieve more body positivity and get over insecurities, which is completely different than what I was expecting. She also gives so many great sex tips and has such an interesting and helpful take on how to keep a passionate and intimate connection in a long-term relationship. Like, it was really advice that I had never heard before. I thought this conversation was so interesting, very juicy, completely different perspective than I'd heard. And it really changed my mind about a lot of things, honestly. Emma, I'm curious before we wrap up and dive into it, like, I'm just curious your thoughts on the episode. I thought she had so many fascinating things to say when we did the audience Q&A. And she talked a little bit about open relationships. That was really interesting to hear as a former porn star and also as someone who had been in an open relationship, just to say how societally the odds are stacked against having an open relationship. Like she had one and it was so hard. And that wasn't because of the nature of the relationship itself. That was because of the way the world is and the way our world is structured. And I just thought that that was really fascinating. Yeah, her talk about open relationships was really interesting. Do you know anyone who is in a non-monogamous relationship? At the moment? Not currently, no. I do think it's more common than people realize. And I think that maybe it's being built into, like, I know that Gen Z gets roasted a lot for having situationships, basically. But actually, maybe situationships are just us trying to get out of the super binary state of monogamous or non-monogamous. Maybe it's evolving in a different way, which shows up as situationships and can be joked about. But in reality, it's breaking out of the mold a little bit. But I feel like people saying we are in 
an open relationship, labeling it as such is a little more rare. Yeah, because there's all this taboo. Whereas just saying we haven't gotten to that step yet, as if that's a step to get to, like that's coming in the future, is a little bit more normalized. When in reality, either is great. Right, exactly. It's whatever tickles your pickle. Oh my God, on that note. (laughs) On that note. Welcome, Candice Horvath, to the Every Girl Podcast, and enjoy this episode. Candice, welcome to the Every Girl Podcast. We are so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I know that you got into the adult film industry at age 19. What was that process like? Like, how and why did you get into that industry? The why is a tough one because I feel like you can't pinpoint one exact moment or reason for it, right? Like, I feel like there's like this constellation that creates our decision making and its exposure and culture and family and how you were raised and what you're trying to prove and how you're trying to find yourself. From a very young age, always felt a pull towards these women that seemed to have figured out their sexuality, their femininity. It looks like a superpower. You know, from the outside, it looks like a superpower. And I really think that it is. I think that any person that's able to get in control of their sexuality, their sensuality, their authenticity owns the room. And I don't mean you have to get into the porn industry or you need to start an OnlyFans. It's however that expresses itself for you. For me, it was more of the sensual play and getting to understand what that meant for me because I was always super insecure. And that insecurity looked like me attacking other women, being very judgmental, because if I'm focusing outside, I don't have to focus on myself. So rather than continue down that path, I started looking at women like Pamela Anderson or Carmen Electra or Tara Patrick. And I'm like, these women don't seem to be catty, don't seem to be attacking other women. They simply exist and are powerful. So there's a third option. And how can I cultivate that within myself? So for some reason... (laughs) The path led me down towards seeking out adult work. And I started with webcamming. I absolutely hated it. I think it takes a very specific personality to enjoy that because it's it's just a bunch of people telling you what to do. And I am have mm-hmm. a very low av- availability for that. It's just not my temperament. I do not like taking orders. And then I started glamour modeling, which was just implied, not, not showing anything. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to make movies. So I reached out to a couple companies, sent in my IDs, a couple of photos, and they verified that I was of age, flew me down to Miami. And then my very first scene just took off. It was one of the most popular scenes to date. And I quickly started within the industry. I'm so inspired by the fact that you felt empowered, like you calling sexuality a superpower. That hits home for me so much. Like that's so incredible to view it that way instead of for centuries decades women have been shamed into their sexuality Mm -hmm. being something bad or something deceitful or evil. I'm curious, like you talking about the insecurities that you had, was that in your childhood or was that starting out in the industry? You had a lot of insecurities that you had to let go of or get over. Oh my gosh. I've done a lot of work on this topic and I try to think back to my very first memory of being insecure. And as a parent now, it breaks my heart because I couldn't have been older then six or seven, when I was sitting in in the car with my mom, we were driving, and I remember remember what I was wearing. I was wearing like this yellow jumpsuit with these like little pink flowers on it, and the sun was coming in through the window, and it was hitting my thighs in a way that it was highlighting them, and my thighs were touching, 
My mom has been a professional bodybuilder. She's a very naturally petite woman. She's 4'10 and just shredded. So her thighs never touched. And my Barbie doll's thighs never touched. And I have been built differently. My hips are different. My thighs are different. My butt is different. And I think that was the first moment I was looking down and I saw that. And I was like, well, I don't look like mom and I don't look like my dolls. And I don't look like a lot of other girls. And my body was just always a little bit just more curvy. And then that kind of perpetuated and grew with me as I grew. And oh my gosh, it makes me it makes me emotional. I have boys. I can't imagine if I had girls because it's like, how can you try to prevent that or at least postpone right. it? Because that's just so young to have that kind of realization of not being good enough or not pretty enough just because of something that is so silly. When I was a kid, you're not supposed to look like a developed woman, but a lot of the things that were around me were of these complete women. So you're always measuring up against that. And then I moved around a ton in school. I was never in a school for a very long time. And if you're the new kid in school, you automatically are the prey to everyone else. So you get picked on relentlessly. So that was just another thing. I have a ton of freckles. I got picked on for that. And I would often eat lunch with the nurse because I would be sobbing and I couldn't make any friends or connections. So that insecurity was like really, really, really deep. And I just didn't want it anymore. So I think that by getting naked on camera in some weird way was the most radical way to transmute that. Like, how can I get over this? Because I don't want to keep it anymore. It's not serving me. And deep down, I knew it wasn't true. I, I knew that this idea of me having to look like a Barbie wasn't true. And the ironic thing is people say that porn perpetuates negative body image for a lot of women or especially when it comes to their anatomy. But I don't think that's true at all because that was the first time I ever saw a whole bunch of different bodies and a whole bunch of different looks and a whole bunch of different grooming behaviors. That was the first time I saw it being okay to have hair. Before that, I was like, no, you have to be a naked mole rat. Otherwise, you're disgusting, right? That was the narrative. A boy's going to think you're disgusting. The girls in the locker room are going to pick on you. And when I first got into a set, almost most women have some kind of hair down there. And I was like, oh, that's okay. And they're like, yes, you're a woman. That's okay. And it really made me shift a lot of my preconceived notions on what was acceptable to, for your body. The variability there of what is beautiful, what is sexy is a lot wider of a range than if you look at mainstream Hollywood movies. That's so true. With mainstream media, what we're seeing is one type of sexuality. We really are. We're seeing one type. It is like the love story, the steamy sex scene. The women all look the same. They're all orgasming within 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. At the same time as their partner than porn. <laughs> really? So I, I actually totally understand. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that is a huge conversation that we hear about the porn industry is like, oh, it's something that's negative for women because it is perpetuating negative body type, but also the demeaning. Like, have you ever felt like this porn is for men? So it's the male fantasy, the male ideal. Have you found that or do you feel like you have felt empowered throughout the entire process and porn as a whole is something that can be seen as empowering to women rather than demeaning. Well, at the end of the day, porn is a product for men. It is designed for men to watch and to consume and to pay for. So if your main target audience is women, it's going to be totally different. There is a reason that Fifty Shades of Grey was a top-selling book in pretty much the world for however many years. We need a different modality. I would go a step further to say that those really romantic movies are in that same bucket as well because they do lead to a false sense of expectation from your partner if you're not mature enough to understand that it's meant to be entertainment. When it comes to the degradation of women, there's an evolutionary reason why they do a lot of the things. There's a reason why 
the guy's penises are so large. There's a reason why you have to be able to see the cum shot. Like all of those things trigger the reward system in the male brain and they want to watch more. It gives them a higher feedback. So it's not to degrade the woman. It is literally just about consumption and capital. So if you watch a man-on-man film, it is shot almost identical to a man with a woman. I don't think anyone should consume it as if it's real life. It is entertainment. It's very inspiring to see you feel so empowered by your sexuality rather than something that is this confusing, scary thing that isn't yours. Also looking at pop culture, the big example I always think of is in Sex and the City, Samantha's the caricature. She's a character type. It's basically saying not all women are that open with their sexuality is one caricature of a woman rather than we all have sexualities. We all can express them in however way we want. So I'm curious how that experience was like for you. How did your friends and family respond to you getting into porn? And was it something that you felt shame with? Or did you always feel that empowerment from day one? No, you lose friends, you lose family members, you lose different social circles. As you get older, you'll see that it affects people that didn't even make that decision. It affects my now husband. He's never been in the industry. I didn't think I could have children for a long time. I was told by multiple specialists I was infertile. So now I absolutely know on some degree they're going to have to deal with it as well. That's not fair. I should expect people to treat each other with a little bit of kindness and understand that not everything has to be for you. My lifestyle doesn't have to be for you. Don't make the choices I made. And maybe your lifestyle is not for me. I'm not going to make those decisions either. But we live in this space now where it's like if we don't exactly emulate the ideal person that I want to be, then you are a bad person. Instead of respecting everyone's individual choice and way to go throughout life. And if you don't like it, then don't make those choices, right? But you don't have to actively go against me. So I still deal with a lot of stuff. I was just at a dinner in Texas recently and my presence was an offense. These are grown adults and it's crazy. I'm not asking you to subscribe to my lifestyle or my OnlyFans. I'm just saying treat me like a person. How do you deal with that when you get that response or you feel such strong judgment? Usually I'm okay at this specific dinner, I think because I knew it wasn't going to land well and I didn't have a choice. Someone else introduced me for myself, which wasn't really cool, but I knew I didn't have a choice. I had to explain my career. And I knew that I was definitely an outlier at this dinner. And the way that I see sex and sexuality and porn and autonomy, like definitely an outlier. So I was filled with anxiety and I haven't been for a really long time. So I was like, well, I need to dig into that. And my friend that was there was, no, you don't. No, you don't. That's not on you. Also, I'm the only one that can bring myself peace. So I just need to figure out why I didn't have that in a space where I knew I wasn't going to be accepted because it's just not my tribe. It's not where I'm supposed to be. And that's fine. You know, not everything is for everyone. So, yeah, I think I just have to practice discernment of where I spend my time and who I allow into my circle. And unfortunately, I think the thing that gives me the most unease is I don't want those decisions to be made for my kids. Like I'm not in control of that. And hopefully it doesn't happen, but it's a very real possibility where he develops a friendship with somebody and their parents are like, nope can't be there. Their mom is a terrible person, whatever the narrative is. And then my son has to experience pain because of my decisions and that sucks, but I can't go back. You know what I mean? It is the only way forward is through. I mean, I know we're talking about so many mixed messages about sex and sexuality. Like there's the religious aspect. There's just societal aspect. Like there's a lot of confusing things going around about sexuality. So this might be very wrong, but when I look at people like you that are so empowered by their sexuality, What I feel is like I'm 
envious. I wish that I felt that tapped into my sexuality. And I almost wonder if these people, like, yes, they obviously have been built up in institutions where being that openly sexual, that empowered bisexuality is a big no-no. But I almost wonder if there's a twinge of like, I don't feel satisfied or secure in my sexuality. So there's almost like the jealousy thing. I think jealousy is definitely an aspect for some people. When you see someone living in a way that you're unable to, whether it's freedom of expression in any modality, whether they have a large platform in a podcast, whether they're an author, whether they are in the adult industry, if someone has a certain level of freedom that you haven't been able to attain, it reminds you of your own cage. And I think that that can be really infuriating. And instead of wanting to look within, it's just easier to look out because then I don't have to face my own demons or my own narrative or the programming that I might have had from society, culture, parenting, religion, whatever it is. So getting down to first principles of why do I believe this? And maybe you end up the same place that you were, but at least now you've done the work to get there. It's not just someone slapped on some beliefs onto you and you said, okay, without thinking twice. And I encourage people to do that more. I mean, I had to do it a lot. I hated porn before I got into it. And again, a lot of it was my own insecurity. You have the ability to change your mind if you want to. And I've seen what a life of jealousy and insecurity and anger leads to. And then I've seen what grace and forgiveness and tolerance leads to. And I choose the latter. So it's up to you how you want to view the world. And if you want to just exercise judgment every time you see someone that's living a little bit outside the lines or living in a way that is not for you and just discernment, discernment versus judgment. Yes, that's a great distinction is discernment versus judgment. And it's so true with people that place judgment. Imagine how much shame they're feeling for themselves and their sexuality. We live in a culture that's very much dominated by judgment. Like it is this idea that we all are supposed to be the exact same. We should think the exact same. That's like a recipe for unhappiness to think that everybody else should be exactly like you to abide by the rules that you abide by. You're always going to be unhappy. Like my job on earth is not to determine what is your best life. My job on earth is just to live my best life. That's it. And if we remember that, I think that we can also like learn from people, even people that you wouldn't want to live the same life that they live or make the same choices. For example, I wish that I felt good to be a foreign star, but I don't. But I can <laughs> learn so much from you how you feel empowered in your sexuality rather than judging the decisions you made. Yeah, and it's a choice too. So again, it's not saying go take off your clothes for the world to see what it is to say you can actively decide to get rid of the shame that is coupled with your pleasure. And almost all of us have it. Almost every single person has yes. it. We have some kind of guilt or dirtiness when you have that relationship or that experience. And it could even be within like a union. Even if you're married, there are couples that I have men and women coming to me. And they're like, how do you ask your husband or your wife to do X, Y, Z? For a long time, it was only sex to procreate. It wasn't sex for pleasure, especially for the so woman. Girl. That was not the function of sex. So even this concept of enjoying yourself with your husband is pretty new for our generation and a couple generations before. So you can decide to take that program out and enjoy yourself. That is a possibility. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of honesty, a lot of vulnerability, but it's 100% worth it. Like imagine being able to be the most open and free and vulnerable with your spouse. What advice do you have for people listening and for myself to start getting rid of that shame so that they can tap into that free, powerful sexuality? 
There's so many ways. I would say the first part is to sit with it and see where in your body it resides. So some people it might show up in your root chakra and some people it might go into your chest or your throat. You might get a headache and then see if you can kind of like move that energy around. And it's going to sound crazy, but anyone who meditates or does yoga, this is going to be a familiar concept. So we obviously have an abundance of energy just running through us all the time. That is what we're made out of. So see if you can move that up and out. It's a meditative exercise. I've done it before. I know a lot of people in this space like Emily Fletcher. And the most powerful way to do it is to couple it with pleasure. So if you're doing that, start to like caress yourself. And maybe that's a time where you can have solo play and reprogram your body. This is an okay experience and removing that shame and adding pleasure. So you're teaching your body how to think and what is acceptable. And if you find stuff that starts to get a little uncomfortable, because especially for women, I think masturbating is really uncomfortable. I didn't, I think the first time I ever masturbated, I was 18. I didn't know it was something women even did. I was just like, oh, that's just for boys. Boys and men do that. That's not for girls. So I was uncomfortable with myself. It has nothing to do with being promiscuous. I was uncomfortable with myself. And I think a lot of women can probably relate to that. So I think it's feeling how your body locks up or maybe you're like, I shouldn't be doing this and just sit with it and just be, why? Why? Is that is mm. that helpful or hurtful? Do I want to keep this or do I want to lose this? So sitting with that journaling, getting comfortable with masturbating. If you're trying to work on stuff with your partner, some people can't even look their spouse in the eyes when they're making love and having sex. So just start with baby steps, whether that's, okay, I'm going to hold a gaze for 10 seconds. I'm going to hold a gaze for five seconds, whatever your limit is, and just upping it a little bit, just teaching yourself you are safe. You are safe mm. with this person. This person loves you. Pleasure is okay. It is not something that is to be shamed. It is your birthright. You're the only creature that has this organ that its sole function is pleasure. What does that tell us? That tells us you are supposed to enjoy it. Men don't have it. It's something only women have. Your clitoris does nothing. It's nothing but a pleasure button. Evolution, hundreds of thousands of years, that's why it's there. There's no other function. Just from that, the evidence is there. So baby steps, see what your body tells you and have fun. Have fun. I think that's an important one. It's like, remember that it's supposed to be fun. It doesn't have to be this scary, mm -hmm. serious thing. I've heard so many women mm -hmm. talk about being performative. There's obviously many women who have faked orgasm, but I think our first sexual experiences can often be because we want to be attractive for someone else or make someone else feel pleasure so they like us. And sometimes we don't really grow out of that. For someone who literally performed for their job, how do you view performance over pleasure? Like, did you ever find yourself in real life performing rather than focusing on your pleasure? So I think that there's a time for performing. And I think some women get turned on by it. You want to put on the outfit and the show and dance and move around and tease. And I think that's totally normal. And that is totally acceptable. Where it gets to be a problem is when that's all that you do. And then there's never your experience. There's never prioritizing your pleasure. So I think that there's a time to perform where I thoroughly love just like turning on my husband. I don't need to climax. I don't need to finish. I don't need anything. I just like want to be this siren for him. And that's that specific time, right? 
I think where it's a problem is if that's every single time and you're like, I don't need to come. I'm just going to fake these orgasms. And I don't think you should ever fake an orgasm. It's really important for men to understand that maybe you don't orgasm every time. I know I don't. I'm happy to connect and participate. I'm having a good time. I just I'm not going to be able to finish. It's just not going to happen for me. And them understanding that's okay. It takes the pressure off of them as well. They don't feel like they have to get to this end goal. And I don't think that that's what sex is supposed to be. I think that's very Western. And that's very new. This idea that sex is two minutes in and out, both people finish at the same time. That is so just so choreographed and unnatural to me. I would rather just be fully embodied in it. And if we get there, that's amazing. And if not, it's okay. And this is a really big realization that I had within my own body recently. We were doing it's going to sound crazy, but we were doing this sex magic meditation with this absolute guru and she came over. So it was my husband, her and I, and we are doing this protocol and everyone was able to get to climax except for me. And my inner dialogue was, oh, you're not good enough. You're broken. And I was like, whoa, this is all stuff I would be saying to a man typically. Like, you're not good enough. Why can't you get me off? Right. And that's not okay. It's not okay to do to a woman. It's not okay to do to a man. It's your own body. So that's not the purpose. That is a bonus. And it's a very delicious bonus. And I hope you get it. But to sit there and have shame and blame around that, I think is it's a recipe for disaster. And then the other person's going to get performance anxiety and the cycle just perpetuates. So when I was on the other end of it, I was like, wow, this has nothing to do with anyone else. It's just me. And for some reason, I was putting on all of this pressure of you have to, have to, have to. That's not the purpose. The purpose is play. The purpose is fun. The purpose is pleasure. It's not to do and execute. That's such a good point. Our pleasure is always up to us. We are the ones mm -hmm. in control of our pleasure. That's really empowering, too, when you realize that, when you realize that it's not about the person you're with, that you can do it on your own. We put so much pressure on orgasm, which like, yes, we should all be orgasming. That's what we all deserve. But at the same time, I think that is what has helped perpetuate this idea that like sex is that, like you're saying, two minutes, penetration, really, sex is also the little things for like hand-holding, two other forms of pleasure that have nothing to do with insertion. There's a lot of other ways to play and explore and, and feel pleasure. So more focus on feeling pleasure, not as much focus on the end goal, I think, is something that's really helpful in tapping into your own sexuality and, and removing that pressure from both you and your partner. Yeah, I think a lot of women, too, they, we rush the whole process. We don't understand that our engines require a lot more time and attention. So when we're not performing like a man, we think we're broken. Well, we're not men, right? We're not going to get aroused in 10 minutes. Look, the average woman needs 40. Men need 10 to 15 to get fully aroused, which is actually longer than I thought. So that shows you the misconception about male sexuality and arousal yeah. as well. But Women need 40 minutes to get all the way there. So if you're not doing that and you don't have 40 minutes because a lot of us don't, then you have to have the cheat sheets. It's the play throughout the day. It's the caresses. It's the hugs. It's the kisses. It's the eye gazing. It's how you speak to each other. All of that can be part of your foreplay throughout the day. And then once you have the opportunity to be with each other, to make sure that you have lubrication if you're going to speed up through the process, right? Like don't fight your body. I think women maybe feel insecure because they're like, I don't want him to think that I'm not aroused or I don't want him to think that my body's not working. I don't want to admit that my body's not as warmed up as it needs to be. There's nothing shameful about that. So like use the tools and tricks that you have at your disposal instead of saying, let's just 
have both have sex like men when we're not. It doesn't make sense. And both of us are going to lose. So for your cheat sheet, the foreplay being throughout the whole day, it's the touches, the glances, the flirting, like it's everything outside of the bedroom. For me, my environment is huge. If my room is a pigsty, I cannot engage. My mind is going to be like that laundry pile is screaming at me. That dresser has all this shit on it. Why are his socks on the floor again? Like That's how my brain works. And there's no way that that is going to lead to me feeling sexy. So making sure that space stays clean, it stays orderly. I've got candles, I've got lighting. And then that way when we're there, I don't have to worry about anything else. I shave my legs religiously. If I don't feel properly groomed, I don't feel sexy for myself. It's not my husband. He doesn't care. I want to be moisturized, shaved. I want my perfumes, those little things that are my personal habits. So I make sure that I do all of my grooming and I don't have this wild protocol. It's just I need to feel clean, like I smell good and that I'm smooth and that my environment is like silky and clean. People are probably like, that's too much. It's one room. Just make sure (laughs) one room is clean and ready to go. And it is like your sanctuary. I think that's a worthwhile effort to put in for your sexuality. Like we do a lot of harder things to tend to other people. We can tend to our own sexuality by keeping a space tidy or by having a routine that we do consistently that just makes us feel really good in our bodies. Like it, it, I know it sounds like a lot for people, but it kind of is the bare minimum, right? Like we put in so much effort elsewhere. We can afford to put in a little bit for our own pleasure. It deserves exactly. It. Exactly. You put in your best self to your job and your employer. You do your best when you're parenting. You do your best for your friends. You do your best in all these other categories. And then you expect to just show up for sex and it's supposed to blow your mind. That doesn't make sense. So do your best everywhere. And that includes in the bedroom. Do your best. And it's not shaving for, you know, like if anyone has an issue because like, oh, she's got to do all that. No, it's for me. What makes you feel sexy? Do whatever is going to like lead you to a successful outcome. If you're going to do the best everywhere else, then I think you absolutely need to do the best in your relationship and in your bedroom. You're so right. We're constantly talking about leveling up in all these different areas of our lives. And then sexuality is the first thing to go. Sexuality is the most innate. It's a need, just like hunger, thirst. It's a core piece of us. And yet it's the thing that we often ignore to tend to everything else. So maybe we should be prioritizing it more than we think. For sure. There's this incredible book. It's called The Queen's Code. I highly recommend it to any woman that is ready to step into the best version of themselves and to offer a different perspective to men. But in that book, one of the main storytellers, she recommends having sex more than both of you want. So it's not about wanting sex. If you only do it when you want it, then you're kind of setting yourself up for a disconnect and for you guys to be at a deficit when it comes to that. But if you're doing it more, looking at what does it provide this relationship? What does it provide as far as connection, security, safety, love? all of these things, then it's something that kind of like brushing your teeth. It's something that you do need to maintain. And as you do it, that energy kind of starts to build and is always present. And you'll feel that charge within yourself and within the relationship. You'll feel more attracted. And your person walks into the room and you're like, oh, hey, there you are. You know what I mean? It changes that energy to like this really delicious relationship that it's supposed to be. Like you are supposed to be aroused by your person. I think it's really important. It's the thing that keeps you from becoming a roommate over over time. So true. This has been big on TikTok is like the spontaneous desire versus reactive. I was just reading a book about this as well called Come As You Are. It's like changed my mind on so many things. It's amazing. 
I was always thinking something's wrong with my libido. Reading this book, I was like, oh, I just have responsive desire, not spontaneous. So I have to be experiencing pleasure already. And then the arousal comes rather than what we see in movies. What we think everybody else has is all of a sudden you're like, oh, ready to go. I'm horny today. That's not the truth for actually a big majority of people. So Mm -hmm. I think thinking of it like not everything has to be perfect. I don't already have to be in the mood. And knowing that play, sensuality on a regular basis more than you think, I totally think that that's important for people who are like, okay, great. That sounds awesome. But if I do it so consistently or put an effort to my sexuality, it will feel like a chore. How do you stop it from feeling like a chore or another thing on the to-do list? I think it's just mindset. I highly recommend scheduling it. That's going to sound crazy and it's going to be like, that's (laughs) taking away all the magic. Well, how much sex are you having right now when it's not scheduled? How much sex are you having when you don't have date? How many dates are you going on that are not scheduled? How many yoga classes do you go to if it's not scheduled? You don't walk into the yoga room and you're like, I scheduled this. I'm going to have a shitty time. No, you were excited. You're like, oh, I have my yoga today. And you walk in and your sanctuary is set up. So you're like, oh, now I can step into the space. You tap into that energy. You're not going in there with your laptop and your coffee and a kid on your leg. No, this is sacred time. It's the same with dating and, and sex. So you have that scheduled something to look forward to, not a task or something to tick off of the to-do list. Like I get to have uninterrupted time with my person. That is such a delight. That's such a treat. That is such a privilege. And then you go into that and it's your job to leave at the door whatever the drama of the day is. You wouldn't go into yoga class and start venting to everyone there. That's not appropriate. So I think you step into the energy of like, this is our time to connect. It's not our time to talk about taxes or whatever he did wrong that day. It's not what that's for. Have something else maybe scheduled for that. And I think that's also super important to make sure you're constantly checking into expectations of what each other should be doing and maybe any grievances that either of you have. That's obviously important, but you don't bring that to date night and you certainly don't bring that to the time that you're supposed to be getting romantic. So it's mindset. And again, if you have your space set up, even if the rest of the house is a disaster, like there are no to- toys allowed in my bedroom or in my bathroom. That is our space. The rest of the house is chaos. But we are very, very <laughs> adamant about that. And dress up for your person too. Don't just be like, okay, I'm going to throw my hair up and go in my yoga pants. Again, you would show up with all the tools for your yoga class. You would put your pants on, your hair up. You would go in appropriately. So go in appropriately for your date as well. Because the people that argue for the spontaneous sex, they're still not having it. So what is the solution to make it intentional? It's something you don't miss. So for me, it's every Thursday. No matter what, every Thursday night is our night together. We go out, we come home, we connect. That is our time to be intimate with each other. And honestly, I think we need to do more, but at least we know that we're getting four dates in a month. And I think there's something really attractive about that, about like people think that scheduling sex is so unsexy, but all week you're waiting for Thursday and there's buildup for Thursday and you can say, I can't wait for Thursday. Like knowing the buildup is coming, I think that that makes it actually even more sexy. So I think that's all such helpful advice. We had a couple audience Q&A for you that I'm very interested your advice for. First listener asked, how have you and your husband dealt with jealousy? Ooh, that's a good one. I feel like jealousy for some reason is the only emotion we're not expected to understand or navigate or manage. We expect you to manage your sadness. We expect you to manage your anger. We expect you to manage your your frustrations or your outbursts. Like we want you to be 
an appropriate functioning member of society and all these other areas. Like you can't just start screaming in the middle of the grocery store. We expect you to control that. (laughs) When it comes to jealousy, it's like, no, this is righteous. I'm entitled to it. I can go punch a guy in the face because he had the audacity to look at my girl. So very possessive. That's where we're going right now on social media. That's the narrative. And that's crazy. We have this beautiful big brain and we are able to overcome our biology. You have the option to override that if you so choose. For me, I was wildly jealous, just unhealthy. That was my own stuff, my own insecurity. I had a, an obs- like severe abandonment issues. Anything was a threat to what was mine, rightfully mine. And not understanding that I can put all of the guardrails on a relationship And if he's going to cheat, he's going to cheat. If he's going to leave, he's going to leave. That's his decision to make. So I can be super clingy, irrational, demand to have his passwords, check his phone. That sounds crazy to me. That's not love. I can give him all of the freedom in the world. And at the end of the day, he's going to be with me because he's loyal, committed, loves me, wants to be here or not. That illusion of control was worth letting go of in order to experience real unconditional love, like pure unconditional love without attachment, without expectation, without demands. And to me, it was a lot more honest and it took a lot. I mean, it wasn't like I woke up and I was enlightened. I never got jealous ever again. It took a lot of work and it took a lot of honesty. And this man has shown me time and time again through all of his acts and actions, like he is here, he's dependable, he is loyal, he's a great man. So does he deserve all of this treatment that I'm giving him? If he likes a girl's Instagram post, does that undermine every act and action that he's done in the past that says the opposite? No, I have to take him for who he is and not my shit, not my childhood, not my past relationships because he's none of those things. So instead of letting my insecurity get to me, I can see him for who he is. And then therefore that relationship is what it is instead of this really mutated concoction that I'm just clinging on to because I don't want to be alone. Has he been jealous, especially with work? Has he been jealous at all? I'm sure he's had moments, but it's definitely not not to a level that anyone would even understand. Like he had a moment when I first started doing boy girl where it was really hard on him. And more of that was the feedback that he was getting from everyone else. Friends, family, what are you doing? How did you let her do this? The peanut gallery more than his own stuff. But he's the type of person where if he has a discomfort, he leans in. He lives on his edge. He sees how far he can push it. He wants to know why it's there. He's like constantly deconstructing it. Is this mine? Is this something else? And he loves a challenge. He finds the hardest thing and he does it. And I think that's probably what he did with me. He's like, okay, that's that's going to be the hardest relationship I can find. <laughs> She's definitely the one. He transcends what you would expect normal reactions to be. But no, I wouldn't say he's jealous. Like we're in a closed relationship right now. So we're not open at all. I think if it were to open up again, he might be like, I don't know about that. It's not the season, but I don't think he'd be like rageful. It's just like we've been there, done that. We're on to the next thing. Actually, the next question from our listener we had was, I'm considering an open relationship, but feel so scared about it causing problems in our relationship. Do you have tips to make it work or how do you feel like an open relationship is a recipe for disaster? I think both people have to want it. Otherwise, you have traditional monogamy where it's one person is monogamous and the other person is not. <laughs> so, um, point. Both, people, both people have to want it. You have to have very incredibly fine-tuned communication skills. 
You both have to be able to be honest and vulnerable. You can't punish the other person for expressing what it is that they want. Otherwise, they're never going to come back to you. And you're training them to lie. Like, okay, his reaction is too crazy. So now I'm going to censor myself. And now you are not in a true authentic relationship. So anything that is discussed is not to be held on to for later arguments in future dates. So create that safe, loving space to have really, really true conversation. And then you have to ask yourself, why are you doing it? Is it because you're trying to avoid going deep within a relationship? Is that vulnerability and that intimacy scary? Because that is some what some people do, right? Instead of going deep, I'm going to go wide. Is that why you're doing it? Or is there like a more authentic reason? Do you really not believe in monogamy? Why don't you believe in monogamy? Is this long term? Is this only for the next couple of years? How does that change if you get married? How does that change if you have kids? And have these conversations and these thought exercises and get down to why it is you want what you want and why your partner wants what they want. And maybe one of the hard truths that we have to come to is that we just might not be compatible. Most people do not want to do the work to be in anything but a monogamous relationship. It is fucking hard. It is hard. It's not for the faint of heart. And it takes constant recalibration. Like no rules are the same for everyone. So I've met tons of people that are in the poly community. I've met people that in the adult industry. I've met people that are in like open-ish, monogamish, like there's every kind of flavor. So it's really curating your relationship and making it tailor-made for the two of you. So maybe it's not poly. Maybe it's just open. Maybe it's only in a threesome. It's whatever you guys want within your relationship, but you have to be honest. And if it's something that you're not willing to let go of, the answer is not to start cheating, but to find a different partner. Because there's plenty of people that are looking at relationships in a new way. 30 some percent of millennials have been in some type of alternative relationship that is not monogamous. So people are playing around with it. But I think the last thing you should do is lie. And the last thing you should do is give up what you truly want for yourself if you know why you want it. So don't sacrifice your authenticity and then also don't get rid of like the truth and the honesty within that relationship as well. So it's tough. You have to talk to your partner and be true to yourself and true to the relationship. I'd imagine that requires so much self-reflection that it could really actually allow you to learn so much about both yourself and your partner and your relationship. Like I'm sure it's so eye-opening. It is. You understand a lot about yourself and jealousy and how scared you are and how insecure you might be within the relationship, how you only feel safe so long as you have his passcode. You only feel safe as long as he's texting you on the hour every hour. And to me, that's a really fragile place to be. That's not something to build a life upon. So it's not to say go and have an alternative type of lifestyle, but it is to say that even if you both choose monogamy, it should be solid. You should really trust that person with everything because if you're going to spend the rest of your life with this person, it can't be fragile. Otherwise, what's the point? So you can decide how strong you want your relationship to be, but it's not easy, right? You are forged in the fire. You got to walk through it. You can't avoid getting burnt all the time. Otherwise, what you have is just going to break. It's just a matter of when. And to anyone that thinks it's bananas, I was in the industry for over a decade for a good chunk of my relationship. We were totally open. My husband has taken that invitation one time and just didn't want to do it again. So in my own anecdotal evidence, the rules don't matter. What they want to do and what they're going to do is going to happen. So the rules literally changed pretty much nothing within our context. Wow. Which I'm sure is like so enlightening in a totally other way. Okay, Candace, we are going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. 
first one, because I know you also are very into wellness. What is a wellness ritual that you are obsessed with right now? Oh my gosh. I just had a baby recently. So all of my wellness is all fallen off. I would say my biggest one is probably breath work. I use Othership a lot. And for me, meditation is really difficult because it requires sitting still. It requires carving out time, being really intentional. With Othership, I go on the app. I pick like a two-minute breathing exercise. And if I need to come up or go down, it's got something for me and it'll just totally shift my space for the rest of the day. I got to try that. That sounds so good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Don't take it personal. I think we have a tendency to make everything about ourselves. We're very ego-driven animals. So it's like, they didn't call. I take it personal. I got a weird text. I take it personal. I didn't get this job. I take it personal. So to get rid of that narrative and then put in, well, what else could it be? And then look at it from a different angle. That's such good advice. Yeah, that's so true. And where can everyone find you, Candice, your Instagram, all your social handles? Where do you want people to go get more Candice? So it's Candice Horback across all the socials. Chattingwithcandice.com has my podcast, my YouTube, my Rumble, all of that. Candace, thank you so much. This was such a fascinating conversation. I so appreciate you taking your time and all your vulnerability and helping other women be empowered to find all of our superpowers and our sexuality. So thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. This is incredible. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.